The following story has been brought to you by storiestoinspire.org. So listen to this story. Maybe we take a story. So it says that we should go in the ways of God. What does that mean, go in the ways of God? So Rashi says, what are the ways of God? Kindness. You should bestow kindness on other people. He says the following story. Maybe I said the story since I read it probably a hundred times to a hundred different people. They have to do this in their house. So a certain Talmud Chacham had come from Eretz Yisrael and he came to a city called Strasbourg. I think it's in France. I'm not sure, but I believe the city's in France. And this rabbi made up that he's going to be there for Shabbos. So he comes there Friday afternoon late and the people that he came to left for Shabbos. So he had no place for Shabbos, right? He, he discovered that his would-be host had left the city and he had no place to stay for Shabbos. So he, he didn't know what to do. So he left his suitcases near the shul. And he goes into shul, knows nobody, Strasbourg, France, he's coming from Israel. And at the end of davening, this man walks over to him and says, do you have a place for Shabbos meals? I wish we'd do that. You know, out of town they do that a lot. But in New York, for some reason, we don't, we're not so sensitive to people, you know, coming and not having a place for Shabbos. Whenever you go out of town, whenever I go out of town, it's like, you have, you have a place for Shabbos. I'm like, if you think I'd be here if I didn't? <laughs> yeah, right, okay. You know, but, but Lamaise in New York, a lot of people, we, don't, we, we should ask in shuls, you know, to a girl that said, do you have a place for Shabbos? We, we don't, we're, we're so busy, you know, but it's, it's wrong. Lamaise, it's wrong, and we, we, we need to take on that. But that's not, that's not where I'm going here. So anyway, so he asked him, do you have a place for Shabbos? So he, he was embarrassed. He didn't want to say, I got, you know, stood up. I don't have a place for Shabbos. But the man saw already that he was, he said, no, I, I see you don't have a place. You know, come to my house for Shabbos. Okay, so this guy had no place, the Tamachacham had no place to go. So he accepted the invitation gratefully. To his surprise, he comes home with this, with this man and he comes to at the table. So there were eight children and the husband and the wife. So there were 10 people and there were 11 settings on the table. So he's thinking somebody else is supposed to come, right? So, the 11 places were set. So they said, no, sit over here. It's okay, you can sit over here. So several years later, he didn't ask them anything. He comes again, and this time he didn't go to the other people. He came to this guy, and he became the guest by these people. And when he came, again, there was an extra place set at the table. Now, he was invited, so now there were 12 settings. There were the 10, his setting, because he was invited for Shabbos. And another empty setting, a twelfth one. So he saw that uh, that he saw that there's something's going on over here. This is not. There's always an extra setting. She didn't chap why. So he turned to the kid that was sitting next to him, and he said, "What's going on over here? Why do you always have an extra setting on the table Friday night? You know, for Shabbos." So he said, "Every week, this is what the kid tells him. Tells the rabbi every week before my father goes to shul, he stands in the corner." And he davens to Hashem that we should have the schus, the merit of having a guest come from shul to us for Shabbos. So we always set an extra place at the table in anticipation that our father's prayer will be answered. Godless, right? So he asked him, so do a lot of guests come to your house for Shabbos? So the kid goes, no, not at all. Every Friday night we pray for this, but we're in Strasbourg and nobody comes to Strasbourg, so... Very unusual that we, that, you know, that we get a guest. So, he said, it's very rare that our father brings home a guest. And now the guy's like, so I don't chap, why? So why is he doing this? So the Tamil Chacham went over to the host and he asked him, why, 
why do you do this? Why do you always have an extra setting? Um, why don't you just, if a guest is in shul and he's looking for a place, so when he comes into the house, take a plate out, set a place, and, and you know, like, okay, we have a guest, set a place. Why do you do this to your kids? First of all, your kids are very let down. You're davening for a guest, you come home, there's no guest. You're davening for a guest, you go, that's not a good thing for your kids, right? And second of all, just, just set a place. If someone comes, just set a place. Listen to what this man said. He said, we do this for two reasons. One reason is that we want our children to love the mitzvah of Achnas So when, 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 I'm, when I daven that a person should come for Shabbos, they're all davening that a person should come for Shabbos. They're all excited and they're waiting by the door when Tati comes home from shul. So that imbued in them that, that we, it's, it's a treasure. It's special. We, we, we even daven for it. It's so amazing to have a guest for Shabbos. Well, kids that's brought up like that, automatically, instead of, oh my God, someone's coming for Shabbos, you know, we're going to have less food, who needs them, they're not, you know, they're, we don't know them. These kids were brought up in such a way that they were so excited that they were dominating that someone should come for Shabbos. What unbelievable If I was a young man and my daughters were young right now, I would tell my wife, I want you to, I only have one daughter at home now, I would want you to set an extra, mamash, it's, it's, it's godless. I told my son-in-laws, you have to do this for your kids. There should be, on the Shabbos table, one extra setting. Tati, mommy, who is that for? Right? Not Eliyahu Navi like on Pesach night. That's for if anyone's in shul and they don't have a place, that's for them. Do you understand the chinuch that that would do for your children? So he asked this host, but, but I, understand what you, I understand that. But you said you have two reasons that you do it. What's the second reason? He said, I'll tell you the truth. He said, if you're going to come into my house and I'm going to put a, 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 a plate down and dishes, you're going to think that we didn't expect you, so that my wife only made for 10 of us, now we have to share it with 11 of us, so we're each going to have less food. But if you come into my house and you see the extra setting, then you know that we don't just put a setting there, but that we prepared the food for that setting, so you won't feel bad that you took some of the food of the rest of the family. Wow. Do you hear how you have to think about another person's feelings? So whoever's watching this, whoever's in this room, if you, you still have little kids at home, right, or your grandchildren, whatever it is, I think it would be one of the most unbelievable things to do is to start setting an extra place in your house on the table for Shabbos. I think it's a game changer in your children's lives because, again, what they see is what they're going to do. Uh, I mean, I'll tell you about my own family. So my grandparents came in the, towards the end of the Holocaust. They ran away from Holland, actually. And they lived on the west side. At that time, the west side had a lot of... It was very poor. It wasn't what it is today. 98th Street and West End. It wasn't what it is today. They lived on Broadway. There were a lot of tenements there. And there were a lot of um, street people, Jewish street people, that used to sleep on Broadway. Broadway had benches. So Broadway was the only street the west end didn't have. And all the other streets didn't have. West, that, that Broadway had benches. So they used to sleep on those benches. I can tell you, I was a little child, and um, no hugging in the middle of the year. Anyway, I'm kidding. Um, I was a, I was a, one second, wait, you can't leave me in the middle of the year. I said, tell him to come in and listen to the year. He's a nice guy. It's okay, I'll, I'll, I'll call you and tell you the end of it. Anyway, so, um, so I was a little teeny boy, and we used to go for Shabbos to my grandparents. I could not sit in their dining room. I used to eat in the kitchen. It stunk from urine and filth 
so bad that these street people that my grandparents used to have them there for the meals I gagged we could not eat in the same room so their grandchildren ate in the kitchen and the poor people ate in the dining room with my grandparents and I watched that every as I was growing up and Pesach by the Seder and it was and then they had some crazy people who used to sit there there was one guy who, who he was never a Jewish guy that wasn't so normal and he said he worked for the FBI and, and he told us all kinds of stories and we talked a little bit believed them but we found out much later that but that's what I saw by my grandparents that's how my father was brought up so I want to tell you the effect the effect so one day my father comes home in Muncie my father Oliver Shalom he's resting in Ganeiden so he comes home on a Sunday morning and he um, walks into the house and he's got this poor guy also smelly everything's ripped yellow and, like he didn't take a shower and I don't know how long his name was Mr. Goldstein Oliver Shalom and um I was already now a little bit of a teenager, and I was like, whoa. And he, he came for breakfast. To make a long story short, for years, for years, my father picked him up on the east side every Friday, and he was in my house for Shabbos. And he was not a clean person. He, I used to, his house, his broken apartment, right, was, there was, on the floor, was all like newspaper. There were rats and, and roaches. It was, ugh! Was, he didn't pay any rent. It was a cold tenement. With no heat. My father, every Shabbos, he was in my house. Every Shabbos, we took him to shul, and my mother fed him. And there was no way my father wasn't brought up by his parents like that, that you would bring this man into your house. You would, you would, you would pay him to go somewhere else. Anyway, would you have to hear this? My mother, one day, walks into his room to clean up whatever it is. He went to my father's shul, and the Wall Street Journal was open. And there were stocks that were circled. And my mother's like, this guy's not poor. This guy's not poor. A poor guy who lives in a tenement doesn't read the Wall Street Journal. So she tells my father, this guy's not poor. And my father says, he may be, he may not, but as far as in his brain, he may be sick. But look at him. He's very poor. He lives very poor. He's freezing. He has no food, whatever it is. And it didn't make a difference to my father one iota that he had the Wall Street Journal anyway to make a long story short one day he wasn't home on Friday when he went to pick him up to make a long story short the New York Times came out on Sunday that there was a Goldstein that lived in this and this apartment that passed away and had three and a half million dollars in stock certificates in his apartment it was him he was a multi-millionaire he was extremely sick and I thought my father would feel like the guy beat us, you know? All these years, picking him up, feeding him, giving him food, buy, trying to buy him clothes, whatever it was, the guy beat us. The guy was a millionaire, and of course his faraway cousin got the money, whatever it was, right? And we took care of him, and his faraway, but, but that didn't matter. He's in Ghana, my father. It didn't bother him an iota. Because at the end of the day, even though he had that money, he was, he was sick in his head. As far as I know, he was poor. Okay. I started teaching 36 years ago in a yeshiva called Torah Vermoon in the Bronx. Torah Vermoon in the Bronx, at that time in the Bronx, the Bronx was burnt out buildings, everything was totally vacated. This yeshiva shrunk from the Bronx in the old days. It was a little yeshiva, had a couple of Jewish kids in it. These Jewish kids lived in such poverty. I never saw such poverty, really. They, they wore torn clothing. They came to yeshiva. I used to buy them things. This was my first. I was 20 years old. 
first started teaching. This is my first year in teaching. Okay, I'm all excited. I'm just married, right? My parents live in Muncie. These kids are in the Bronx. I'm like, Ta, can I bring four kids for Shabbos? My father loved kids. Yes, bring them, right? I go pick them up. Mamish, rat-infested apartment buildings. No, he, the same thing that that man used to live in. Very, very poor kids. Okay, come to my house for Shabbos. They ne- they're sitting there like they never saw a silver. They never saw a dish like that. I mean, everything that they were eating was like, wow, I never had this, I never had this. And we were having such a good time with them. And Mother Shabbos, I'm going to take them bowling. I'm going to go for pizza. You know, I just started teaching. I'm very excited. Fine. So I take them out for bowling and we go for pizza. I come home. My mother says, come upstairs, we need to talk to you. Okay? I go upstairs. My mother says to me, um, while you were bowling, I went downstairs to the room where the kids were. Everything was flying all over the place. My parents are yekkers, so my mother liked things a little bit neater. And she said, so I folded their clothing. It's my mother. I folded their clothing um, to put it back in the suitcases. I opened up their suitcase, and all my jewelry was in their suitcase. And half our silver. One boy said he was sick. Hitaka said he was sick. And when we all went to shul, my mother goes to shul, we all went to shul Shabbos morning. For those three hours, he went through the house, took all my mother's jewelry, took silver, and was going to steal it. So I was like, what? I'm taking these kids home now? I was like, beyond myself. My father's like, don't say one word to them. I'm like, what do you mean? They got nothing. How can I not, you know, I was just, how can I not say anything to them? My father said, when the boy opens his suitcase, he's going to see the jewelry's gone. He's going to see the silver's gone. He's going to know we caught him. He, he, knows, he knows we caught him. You don't need to embarrass him anymore. It's my first lesson in real chinuch. What are you going to scream at him? He knows. Maybe he opened the suitcase like they caught me. They know I stole. He says, what are you gonna, now you're going to embarrass him on top of that? He knows about it. It's crazy. That's Superman. That's not normal. Right? Okay? That's not normal. Fine. My mother was a little bit more upset than my father. Right? Fine. He calls me in Flatbush like Wednesday. He goes, so you bring the boys for Shabbos again? I'm like, Dad. He says, don't worry, me and Mommy will hide everything. Where, where does that come from? These kids came to your house. They stole everything that you have. They have no appreciation. They wanted to take all your jewelry. They came into your house. They went into your bedroom. They went into your closets. They went into your drawers. Right? They went into all your stuff. They went through your stuff and they stole it. And okay, just bring it back next time, but we'll make sure we hide everything. Where did my father get that from? And the answer is from his parents. He got that from his parents. And, 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 and he got that from the extra setting at the table. When, you, when you're brought up in such a way, then that, that sticks. Enjoyed this story? Come again. Bring a friend. Stories to inspire.org.